Hi guys, Liz Wheeler here. I have a great interview for you today. So we all know that the greatest geopolitical risk to the United States is China, right? If if the United States does not implode from within, if we don't if we don't subvert ourselves, then we are going to be subverted by the Chinese Communist Party. They are our greatest threat, our greatest adversary, perhaps even our greatest enemy. I don't mind using that word. The question that I think I have often, perhaps you have this too, is what do we do about this? Because we don't want to go to conventional war with China. We don't want to go to nuclear war with China. Our economies, ours and the Chinese, are intimately tied together, intricately tied together. So using the U.S. economy as leverage against the Chinese economy, that's one way to get the Chinese Communist Party to toe the line. But the Chinese communists hold a lot of power. We don't actually have all the power to simply dictate to them that they stop being communist. How do we solve this problem when we know the Chinese want to dominate us? They want to be the world's only the world's, world's sole superpower, and they don't want the United States to occupy that position anymore. I sat down and talked to China expert Ben Weingarten, who laid out not just what the problem is, we all know what the problem is, but exactly what steps we need to take as a country to solve this problem. I hope you enjoy this interview. Hello from Miami, Florida. We are here at NatCon 3 in the fabulous free state of Florida. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. I'm sitting here with senior editor at The Federalist. You're also a fellow at the Claremont Institute, uh, Ben Weingart. Ben, good to see you. I'm so glad to be in a free state coming up from the People's Republic of New Jersey. And did you hear that Charlie Crist, who aspires to be governor, although let's be real, he never will, um, not only called DeSantis to Satan, but wants a vaccine mandate for the state? All right, I'll be leaving Florida <laughs> right after this interview. Uh, I suspect that if that were to happen, which it won't, that NatCon would would change location. <laughs> yeah, would it be a boycott of Florida then? It's also, it is amazing though, it is worth saying that Florida itself, I mean, was on a knife's edge, DeSantis versus his Democrat opponent. I mean, yeah. let's remember, and if Gillum had been the governor of Florida, not just the state, but the country and maybe the world would be in an entirely different place because Governor DeSantis was the singular leader behind opposing the draconian lockdowns and a whole slew of other policies. He inspired other governors to follow him, but this was the state that stood up against the mob. It's remarkable. If that had not happened, we might be living in a different world today. And by doing what he did, DeSantis actually proved out the science. It's one thing to do a, a, a clinical trial or run something in a lab, but we saw for a fact that no, Florida wasn't, didn't suffer the winter of extreme pain and death or whatever it was that Biden promised the unvaccinated. Um, yeah, that's a very interesting point. Not what we were planning on talking about today. On your panel, you talked about China, but a very specific aspect of the Chinese threat against the United States, and that is the infiltration of China into American culture. So we're not talking about the military threat of China. We're not even talking about the Chinese Communist Party dominating all of Asia. We're talking about being subverted from within. Yeah, and from my perspective, you know, it's been well argued and established that China poses by far the greatest foreign threat to the American way of life. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. 
what I argued during this panel was that the biggest challenge to confronting this biggest challenge is ourselves. It's our ruling class. It's our elites. Because you can craft the most comprehensive whole of government, whole of society response to communist China. You can push back in terms of its economic warfare, its intellectual property theft. We could go through the whole slew of ways, its military growth and beyond. But if you don't have people at the top of the institutions that are most influential in a country, it doesn't matter. It's off or not. You can't execute and implement it. You are subverted before that counter approach even starts. And by the way, Donald Trump himself, if you look at the forces who opposed him, it's the very ruling class that has been in bed with communist China and literally and figuratively invested in its rise for decades. In fact, it was explicit U.S. policy. It's amazing if you go back and look at national security strategies under every single president prior to Trump, it's explicit policy to make China strong. I mean, it could be make China great again. That could be the clause <laughs> within each of these national security strategies. Democrat and Republican. And so my point was, we have to have conversations certainly about restoring our defense industrial base and our industrial base more broadly. We have to talk about being technological, the primary power, the biggest and strongest economy, the most powerful military, et cetera. But if you don't have an elite to help get you there, and worse, if your elite is not only in bed with communist China, but then also effectively making it a self-fulfilling prophecy that China is going to be the dominant world power, then it's all for naught. And so in this conversation, I walk through the various levers of power that China has corrupted and compromised essentially through the policy of engagement, cooperation, and integration. That is the greatest influence operation that has ever been pulled on America in our nation's history. The Chinese communists have a name for it called elite capture. Exactly right. And then they also have a name for the uh, white Western progressive wokists who also help them uh, become the dominant world power and America become the subordinate power by destroying ourselves from within. But setting the Baizuo aside here, uh, if you look at from Harvard to Hollywood, Seattle to Silicon Valley, and I need to have one more alliteration here, also <laughs> Wall Street to Washington, D.C. Good, very impressive. <laughs> every single one of these cohorts essentially has been, again, literally or figuratively invested. So if we take Hollywood, for example, Hollywood movie studios have taken in millions, billions of dollars in Chinese funding for their movies. And at the same time, they have set up studios and helped China develop its own Hollywood type industry in the hopes that they could gain access to a massive marketplace there. This is how you end up with a Top Gun without the Taiwan flag on Tom Cruise's jacket. This is why you have China universally essentially promoted the CCP's uh, most favored kind of visage promoted in movies. And then also, as a consequence of us helping build up China's own movie industry, it projects its propaganda now around the world. And they've gotten better and better at producing films that present the CCP's favorite image globally. So Hollywood used to be for America, even though it was dominated by leftists and has always been dominated by leftists, still could put out a pro-American propaganda message in the best positive way, in the most favorable possible light, American propaganda. Now, American movie studios help China promote its propaganda to the world and therefore project its power to the world. We can go through schools, of course. I'm sure you and your viewers are well familiar with Confucius Institutes, which is like the Trojan horse into American schools of these exchange programs where the CCP's favorite worldview is put forth, but they call this cultural exchange. 
those it's been presented that they've been disbanded, but actually they've really rebranded at dozens of universities across the country. But the corruption. What have they rebranded as? They've changed the literally changed the names and changed the agendas associated with them to some extent. But if you actually look, the vast majority of those programs still exist under a different name, different form. Do they have do they have a unified name like the Confucius Institute, which, by the way, is nutty that we ever allowed that to happen? Yeah, well, and and this is not my line, but as others have noted, you know, we don't have Jefferson Institutes in Beijing. Uh, and if we if we really were operating on an even playing field, then there should be reciprocity that the Donald Trump administration simple strategy was we have to have reciprocity. So if you're going to kick our journalists out, we're going to kick your journalists out. If you're going to have a Confucius Institute, we should have a Jefferson Institute or, or Trump Institute. Or, yeah. oh, God, God forbid. Um, so, you know, with the with the schools, though, you have students, Chinese nationals who pay tuition to the tune of billions of dollars to schools. That in and of itself, there's a corruption, a corrupting influence of those dollars. You have gifts, oftentimes undisclosed gifts from Chinese entities and nationals to our leading institutions to the tune of billions of dollars, the Trump administration. Yeah, starts. Yale is a good example of that. Yeah, and many other Ivy League schools and other, the Penn Biden Center, for example, uh, may well have taken in Chinese funding, substantial Chinese funding. Uh, and then beyond that, of course, you have the other infiltration of these research and academic institutions where our crown intellectual jewels, research that might have military applications or scientific applications. You have Chinese nationals who have come over and studied in our schools and taken those crown jewels back. So traditional espionage or non-traditional espionage, just sitting in on the courses and taking the materials out. So that's two institutions right there that are corrupted. Before we get to, obviously, Silicon Valley in myriad ways that big tech from having its manufacturing over in China, big and small, $275 billion deal that Apple inked to help build up China's tech industry. Like, why should an American company be involved in that behavior in the first place? In exchange for China treating Apple with kid gloves, essentially, in terms of its regulatory architecture. And you can imagine all the ways that it corrupts Apple, that it has so much business in China, and that it's engaged in a quid pro quo like that. But then even the smaller things like Amazon, for example, censoring negative reviews of Xi Jinping's collected speeches on their website. It's, it's that big. It's from $275 billion to censoring the comments on a Xi Jinping book or the ratings on a Xi Jinping book. And then last but not least, of course, Wall Street and Washington, D.C. And Wall Street from the start, again, has literally and figuratively been invested in this burgeoning China relationship even dating back to the early 1970s, there was a burgeoning pro-business lobby who was advocating for, we need to get into China, we need to open up this relationship, it's imperative to have access to this massive marketplace. And then they get later to, and you know, economic liberalization will lead to political liberalization, et cetera, et cetera. Which, which is didn't happen, false. that obviously failed. <laughs> Worse than a failure, we became more like them than they became like us. And you know, we can get to that part of the conversation, uh, with our elites increasingly aping the CCP elites. Uh, but Wall Street you know, wants to underwrite Chinese companies, advise on Chinese companies, manage Chinese national assets. And they were the chief ones who pushed for that policy to be incorporated into the Trump administration's trade policy. They were also the chief lobbyists on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party, pushing back on the harsher elements of Trump's trade strategy from the perspective of the Chinese Communist Party. And then last but not least, outside of the literal money in Wall Street is Washington, D.C. And all I need to do is say the names, Joe Biden, Dianne Feinstein, Eric Swalwell, and we can run down a list. And by the way, there are Republicans who are incorporated in this as well. 
who themselves either directly or indirectly are compromised. And even if we had a Congress composed of the most stalwart, ardent China hawks who completely understood the size, scope, and nature of the threat, nevertheless, they have all these other powerful constituencies who would be lobbying them in effect for the Chinese Communist Party line. And this is before we get to our own weaknesses in terms of wokeism, globalism, environmentalism, which all degrade our national power and make it that much harder to compete in an existential challenge that we face right now. When you internalize all of these different cultural aspects, I mean, it is a communist tactic to subvert the cultural institutions or the civil society in order to topple the governmental institutions. That's certainly what China is doing. What's crazy is that we've allowed this to happen. And what's crazier still is that now that we've put a pin in all of this, that we aren't doing anything about it. Yeah. I mean, the first, the starting point for a rational country would be, first of all, you can't be dependent on your worst adversaries for the basic necessities of life. And I'm smiling because you think about this. Medicine completely dominated by communist China, as we saw. Like antibiotics, right? Yeah, basic antibiotics, completely dominated, generic drugs, production, China dominated. China is lacking in certain natural resources, but they've gone on a global spending spree to try and ensure that they can decouple before we decouple so that they are not dependent on us for the basic necessities of life. Certainly rare earth metals, they've gone out and tried to buy all of them. They seek dominance in all of the strategically most significant areas. And then of course, what they can't buy, they steal in terms of intellectual property and technological capabilities from us. And then on the other side of things, we literally in the Trump administration put out a report on this on the defense industrial base, basically showing that we have hundreds of supply chains that are reliant upon other countries, including communist China. The fact that a military hardware component must come from communist China today. Any piece of hardware, that's an existential threat. How can you be a free country if you're not an independent country? So it's a, the first point would be you have to have a do no harm policy. Don't engage in policies that make make you reliant on an adversary or give them access to your open and free society so that they can exploit and subvert it. And instead, the literal opposite policy of that has been what had been in place up to the Trump administration and still persists clearly in civil society, at least to a large extent, which is we're going to open ourselves up to China and thinking that China is going to open itself up to us. No, of course, they took advantage of that. Unlike the Soviet Union, which essentially isolated itself, China said, we're going to learn from their mistake. We're going to open ourselves up to the West. We're going to invite in their capital their technology, their know-how, their brand power, and we're going to let them build us up into the point where we're so strong that we can either decouple from them or ultimately turn them in to a vassal of ours. And I think that's what China ultimately wants. They want to be, when, when we talk about China wanting to be a dominant world power, what does that mean beyond the biggest economy, the strongest military, et cetera? They want to be able to project their power how they want and when they want on their terms. It doesn't mean that there's going to be a CCP government in the United States someday. But what it means is we are second to them, subordinated to them. They call the shots on the rules of the world or the rules of the road internationally. And they're well on their way in terms of pursuing that strategy. And my view has always been, we have the capability, in my question, no doubt, to overcome this challenge. Yeah, the Chinese Communist Party has plenty of problems in itself. It's corrupted. I'm sure there are warring factions within it. 
China's central planning, like all central planning, ultimately will collapse. We just may not see it in real time. There are a whole slew of problems. Look, they engaged in mass social engineering and screwed up with their one-child policy, and now they have to have a three-plus child policy. So they're a horrific, tyrannical regime that none of us should ever want to live under, but they are deathly serious about making themselves the dominant world power. And I don't know that our elites feel the same way. And in fact, I think many of our elites are resigned to the fact that China ultimately will supplant us. And they think that by getting on board, by fostering these relations, they'll be protected. And my view is literally or figuratively, and we've seen this in every communist revolution that's ever happened in the world, those people who kowtow are the first people lined up and shot the day after that revolution succeeds. That's historically accurate. Is it too late if we, if we did have elected representatives who were willing to fight the fight and understood the threat? Is it too late to save America as the world superpower? I don't believe so. And the reason I don't believe so, even though I am pessimistic in terms of the trend lines, in terms of, like I said, the fact that our elites not only kowtow to China, but they're actually increasingly emulating China in terms of suppressing dissent in this country and eviscerating liberty and justice. So we become America name only or post-America essentially. But that aside, in terms of the capability that we still possess, First of all, we're blessed by the fact that we're separated from the world by oceans. That's a, that's a basic starting point. Then you have the natural resources that we have. Then you still have the capability of the American people. Should their will be summoned, should they be directed in the right direction? And then lastly, of course, is the capability of the government itself. And on this panel today, I spoke with a couple people who worked in the Trump administration National Security Council. And, and basically what they talked about was, look, if you use the full arsenal of American power under law, there are myriad ways that you can go about pushing back on China, separating them from our system, engaging in strategic decoupling. If you can't do it in civil society by convincing our captured elite, then you certainly can use the power of the law to do so. And this might make libertarians uncomfortable, but the response that I would have to libertarians on that note is you can't have a libertarian country if China is the dominant world power, <laughs> number one. And then number two, it's not, I, to my knowledge, you know, libertarians talk about a non-aggression principle. Well, if the other side is the aggressor and they want to be the dominant world power, you have to protect yourself and survive. Survival. Their, their viewpoint is a utopian viewpoint, not a realistic viewpoint. Fundamentally, and not all, not all libertarians, to be fair. I mean, I'm strawmanning here a little bit, but generalizing. Generalizing, <laughs> yeah. But the fact of the matter is that the libertarian model might work in a world with a bunch of other free and liberal, non-hostile powers, but in a world where one side is going to use your freedom and openness against you. Your first job is to survive, and then it's to thrive. You can't thrive and be free and open if you don't survive. And so consequently, that requires, this threat requires making decisions that on their surface might not be the most economically rational decision in terms of all things being equal, slapping tariffs on products. Yeah, tariffs are taxes. Okay, but what if you have a hollowed out industry that is essential to literally surviving as a country? And again, what if you're made reliant on your worst adversary who's lying, cheating, and stealing while they destroy your industries? The fact of the matter is, our job is to survive first. Survival is moral. And if you look back to the founders and you look back to what our foreign policy was for the first 100 plus years of our country, the notion of protecting certain industries in the face of existential threats to them is a perfectly reasonable, rational, consistent thing to do with American values and principles. It's not an American value and principle to die 
on the hill of, uh, you know, liberal internationalism. So talk to me about the legislative solutions to this a little more specifically. So we talked about Hollywood. We talked about um, we talked about universities. We talked about Wall Street. We talked about the elite capture. Oftentimes in our politicians, it's their children that are actually compromised. It's the, the strategy of the princeling from China where politicians give money to the children of other powerful people in order to control to control um, the politician parent themselves. Do we ban Chinese money from Hollywood? Do we make it illegal for the child of a politician to receive money from a Chinese foreign national? What do we do? We ban students that are Chinese nationals from entering STEM fields in our country or working in in Silicon Valley? Do we prohibit China from having these so-called cultural institutions on our universities? What do we do? Yeah, so I think that there are a range of tools at our disposal that go from kind of the softest to the, the hardest stick, the softest carrot to the hardest stick in the toolbox. So, you know, the hardest is you know, outright bans or sanctioning of entities or the like, or threatening or the threat of it. And the threat of it alone, by the way, I mean, the left shows this, when they threaten a policy, it causes all manner of companies to jump at it. So I'm not saying that I like that tactic, but I am saying it ought to be considered in the realm of possibility to threaten a policy. Uh, but in sort of the working from the least coercive to the most, I think it starts with, okay, if you are any of these institutions that we talk about, if you are Hollywood or if you are Wall Street or if you are a university, any and every privilege that a government entity has extended to you ought to be on the table for revocation should you engage in behavior that is ultimately corrupting to the foundation of the country. And, you know, we're in Florida, like we can talk about this with Disney, for example, and DeSantis, but that could be exploited on a much, much broader range. I mean, schools get all manner of favorable tax treatment. Let's, let's start with that. Like that can be revoked. I mean, legislation, you can use legislation to do that. Pull it away, threaten to pull it away to the extent they engage in relations with Chinese Communist Party tied individuals or entities. Same thing in Hollywood. Hollywood gets all manner of tax breaks. Certain states offer them certain tax breaks, threaten to take them away and then take them away to the extent that Hollywood continues to take that money. This comes down to, at the end of the day, do you perceive that we are in a cold war that in some ways has really been a hot war, quite frankly, in terms of China's efforts, just maybe not militarily uh, or not? And if you believe that we, we are in an existential struggle, then we can use our creativity to summon a whole host of tools that will allow us to push back and start with that do no harm principle of it's strategically significant area. Let's figure out the myriad ways, the myriad levers that we can pull to ensure that China no longer is corrupting it or infiltrating it. And then yes, we could move into the more coercive means. Obviously, you don't want to have to move into them because it sets a precedent. And if the wrong people are in power, they can use it to torment their political foes. Um, but at the same time, I also think that those who might use these powers for ill already are probably going to use these powers for ill against us. So we're already there, probably, um, which gets to the broader point, And like we're here at the National Conservatism Conference of you need to effectuate a wholesale change in society to the point where you would never be in this situation in the first place. So it, it, to, to summarize that at a 30,000 foot level, it's least coercive tools to most coercive, starting with taking away all government associated privileges and advantages should you engage in the behavior to the far more coercive battering ram ones of, you know, if, if a major US bank was sanctioned tomorrow for continuing to have an asset management business in mainland China, or uh, it's going to underwrite the IPO of 
XYZ Chinese Communist Party tied company. Or if it's going to have some kind of mutual fund that's invested in 50 different Chinese Communist Party tied companies. And you say, tomorrow, we are going to sanction certain of your entities or more to the extent you continue to engage in this behavior. And this would cause a massive, massive... It's a deterrent. It's a deterrent. It would cause capital markets to go crazy and all sorts of other recriminations among those who might face that threat. But all I'm saying is there is a possibility to make companies jump, but it is a matter of will and capability. And by the way, I'm not advocating for something like that necessarily, but I am saying that every option ought to be presented, but we shouldn't even need to get there because Americans should want to be American and defend this country without needing the coercion of the government. And what what's clear, I mean, really, if you zoom out on this entire conversation that we're having, what's clear is the Chinese communists want to be the world superpower. To do that, they have to subvert the United States. They don't want to have a hot war with the United States. So they're infiltrating our culture. They are trying to subvert us from within, both by causing chaos in our cultural institutions, but also instilling their own view of the world, which is a communist ideology and not a capitalist ideology. And there are things that we can do. It's not too late. And we should, as the American people, demand that our elected representatives act accordingly with recognizing the reality of that threat. And if we don't, then... um, the question of whether we will pass down this country to our children and grandchildren is actually a question and not just a reality. I appreciate all the work that you do on this. Ben Weingarten, thank you for sitting down with me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. All right, guys. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.